This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Equity Mike. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, Great to be with you again. As always, great to be chatting stocks, uh, all things markets. And today, we are lucky enough to be joined by another expert. I'll let you do the intro, but this is another episode uh, of our expert investor series where we will be talking all things small caps, Ren. So uh, I'll let you do the intros and then we can uh, get stuck into it. Yeah. So um, we've got Henry Jennings on the line. So Henry, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, guys. I'll just give you a brief intro so our listeners um, who haven't heard of you can uh, get up to speed quickly. So Henry um, has spent a lifetime in stockbroking and investment banking, originally from the UK and now in Australia. He was the divisional director for Macquarie Bank, responsible for equity trading, and has been both a trader and a broker during his career. Currently, Henry is a senior investment analyst and portfolio manager at Marcus Today, and Henry specialises in small and mid caps, although he has a good knowledge of all things markets. So, Henry, we're really excited to have you here today. Um, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. I'm really looking forward to it. So, the the way we uh, like to start some of these interviews to just get a, a sense of who you are and what your investment philosophy is, is we like to play a game. So, okay. um, <laughs> we, we thought today would uh, would start with a game of overrated or underrated. So, uh, we'll name a topic and you tell us yep. if it's overrated or underrated by the market. So, we'll, right. um, we'll kick okay. off with something, uh, something everyone's familiar with, the ASX 200, overrated or underrated? Oh, tricky. At the moment, I think it's um, a little bit overrated, shall we say. I think it's got a little bit ahead of itself. Maybe um, reality and, uh, and, and fantasy have got a, a little bit away from each other. Well, following on from that, then, what do you think, overrated or underrated, the NASDAQ 100? I think the same would apply just at the moment. I think um, we could see a little bit of consolidation in some of the world equity markets, starting probably with NASDAQ and the US. So something quite topical in Australia at the moment has been the uh, RBA's cash rate. So uh, yeah. the, the RBA's cash rate, overrated or underrated? As, as far as the markets focus on it, I think it's uh, a bit overrated. We tend to fixate on the um, the RBA and the cash rate. 
Whereas the reality is the banks are free to set whatever interest rates they like on their mortgage and lending products. And the Fed's probably far more important. So um, I think it's a little overrated at the moment, but we are Australian. We have the ASX and that's the best thing that we can focus on uh, is probably the, the RBA. But the Fed is far more important, I think, for world markets. So I think the RBA is a little bit overrated in terms of its importance. Hmm. So a market that we don't have a lot of experience in, Alec and I, but uh, overrated or underrated, the Chinese market. Oh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> such a volatile, it's such a volatile beast as well. I, th- I think it's given that we have such an important weekend coming up with, uh, with in terms of trade talks. I think it's probably a little overrated at the moment, and uh, uh, it has recovered pretty well from its lows. I suspect that uh, we could see a little bit of downside if we don't get the outcome that we require at the weekend. So along those lines, overrated or underrated, the US-China trade war? I think it's, uh, well, it's probably underrated in terms of its significance because I think at the end of the day, it's not just, it's clearly not just about trade, it's about global domination going forward for the next uh, 20, 30, 40 years, really. It's, it's the new Cold War with the added dimension that this time um, you're fighting an economic power as opposed to just a military power. So I, th- I think as an issue, it's um, it's probably underrated in its importance. And a lot of people have assumed that, you know, they'll get some sort of decent outcome eventually because Trump needs to get an outcome for his uh, political ambitions to, to go again. And the Chinese need an outcome as well. But I think the market's probably underrating the, the ability to, for this to escalate. Yeah, very much watch this space. Overrated or underrated, the Australian property market at the moment? Oh, that's another. You ask some tricky questions, don't you? <laughs> don't worry, it gets easier from here. <laughs> oh, does it? Um, the Australian property market, I, you know, I, I think it was probably uh, overrated for a long time. It was probably been underrated uh, recently in terms of its performance, and we all are pretty much aware of the housing downturn. And I suspect, uh, talking to people and, and reading the newspapers, etc., um, that there has been a stabilisation in uh, in property at the moment. But it is off low levels, and it is also off low activity as well. But it does look as if at least it has stabilised post the election and post the um, uh, the RBA at least uh, selling it to um, to cut rates. So I think um, I think it's kind of an over under story the, the property market at the moment. So we've got a, just a couple more to go, Henry. Yep. Overrated or underrated Bitcoin? I, I, I have to say I think it's completely overrated. It has had a massive move um, from four or 5,000 US to I think it went through 12,100 today, 12,100. I think it's massively overrated. It's completely unused no one actually uses it to transact because they're all frightened that it's going to go up so much in value so no one wants to actually change it for cash um and it's it's run by insiders there's no official exchange there's it's completely uh dodgy and fixed having said that a lot of people i'm sure have made a lot of money out of it and a lot of people have lost a lot of money out of it but i think as a as a thing i still struggle to get my head around cryptocurrency um, I've just been in a meeting with some people talking about the very same thing, and I still can't get my head around it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very overrated, but we're, we live in a world at the moment where, where strange things are happening in the financial world, and this is certainly one of those strange things. I wouldn't be surprised to see it head higher as well. Something that uh, hasn't changed over the years, overrated or underrated, Warren Buffett. <laughs> uh, I, 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 about, I think he's uh, he's he, he is a genius, but he's certainly very overused. I think there are very few financial advisors that they haven't in their time quoted at Warren Buffett and at least one PowerPoint presentation. So I think in that respect, he's very uh, overrated. And he hasn't uh, in the last few years. His track record has not been as uh, fantastic as. Um, as previously and and you know warren buffett is 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 great if you are warren buffett but it's very hard 
for um, for individual investors to um, to follow some of his investments. I mean, buying ten percent of Goldman Sachs in the in the GFC is pretty hard for uh, for you and I to do. So he does have some advantages of scale and the fact that he probably gets the best advice in the world. But he mm. clearly has been a, a, a genius. But um, there are other geniuses out there, or Geni maybe, um, mm. out there. And I think he's certainly very overused as the as the guru. You know, the, the financial markets are going to have a, a period of mourning for days when when Warren shuffles <laughs> off his mortal coil. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a, it'll be a big loss to PowerPoint presentations everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> and and probably to investing podcasts as well. I think we uh, are yeah. we may oh, be yeah. guilty of that overuse as well. It must be bread and butter for some. <laughs> so, Henry, we um that that brings us to the end of the game. I think that gives us a, a bit of a taste of some of the some of your thoughts on some of the big topics in markets. Before we get to small caps, it would be great to get a better understanding of you and your journey, uh, your investing journey. So if we start right at the beginning, can you tell us the story of your first investment? Yes, it's going back a long time now, unfortunately. And I guess at school, the um, my headmaster at my my school when I was about twelve or thirteen was quite keen on shares and used to show us the prices in the paper in the evenings and things. And I kind of got the bug, I guess. And when I left school, um, I got into stockbroking, and that was you know, about forty odd years ago. And it was always interesting because at those times, I didn't actually have an awful lot of money to invest because I was just starting out in my career. So I gravitated towards traded options, which are um, a a method whereby you can uh, trade on um, with limited risk in some cases, and certainly you can magnify your profits. So I got into uh, trading options, and I remember distinctly, I think my first good trade is I bought some options on uh, Lonro, as it was, which is a UK mining company. This is back in the UK. And uh, I made enough to buy a pair of ski boots, which was very exciting for a 22-year-old that I'd made enough to buy a pair of ski boots. If I'd have held the options a little longer, I would have made enough to buy the holiday and another holiday and another (laughs) holiday after that because they they got taken over. But I was, at the time, I was quite happy – to take the ski boots, which was a bit sad, really, but I guess that's that's part of where my journey began, and I I, I, I sort of fell in love with stocks subsequent to that, not only options but also stocks, and gravitated, I suppose, towards the small end of the market and the medium sort of companies, only because um, it's 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 kind of a place where you can um, you can hang out and the big boys don't get to play so much. And they're far more interesting stories than, uh, say, BHP, which is very hard to get your head around a company-changing part of BHP, whereas for a small company, uh, you can certainly get involved with the narrative. And to me, it's it's all about stories and management as opposed to necessarily fundamentals and uh, technical analysis, um, which has been good and bad over the years. And I, I suppose also during my time at Macquarie, I, I traded big cap stocks for the bank and had a very large trading book. And so to negate any kind of conflicts of interest, I tended to, to play in the smaller gene pool for my own investments so that I could never be long a stock for myself and be selling mm. it for the bank and have that conflict of interest. So I, I fell into to small and mid caps as a result of that. And I guess I've, I've kind of been there ever since, which has been both good and bad. Sounds like a pretty interesting journey, Henry, to, to get to the point where I, you, you mean you've done stockbroking and investment banking and now you're an analyst and a portfolio manager as well. We'll talk about your investing philosophy in a second, but what's one of the biggest lessons that I think you may have learnt in your early days that you've carried through to, to now? Um, I, I suppose going back to the Lonra example is not to, um, not to sell too early uh, when you're on to a good thing. Um, and also have a, a plan, have a trading plan and, and a discipline. And it's certainly something that I tried to bring to my professional trading career uh, at Macquarie Bank and other places. It's not always as easy to uh, to have that discipline with your own personal trading because sometimes you fall in love with a story which has been uh, sometimes costly mistake. And you have to be um, dispassionate, I think, about it. And you have to have that discipline. So um, I think that's that's pretty important, and that's that's a lesson that I've tried to uh, to keep 
with me forever rather than try and fall in love with the story and it, it'll be all right and fingers crossed kind of vesting which uh, really doesn't uh, doesn't work too well so you touched on the idea of a trading plan there for for our listeners yeah. that aren't familiar with the term and and wouldn't know where to start can you give um a few yeah. examples of what that might look like well, I guess um, you're always looking for for opportunities in the market, and they do come along like buses. They do come along, you know, quite regularly. But what what I tend to look for is some sort of catalyst that's going to change the uh, the the basis of the of the shares at that particular moment. Whether that's a results announcement, whether that's uh, in the terms of a mining company, whether that's a feasibility study or a resource upgrade, or some drilling for an oil company, but something that's going to change the status quo because. You know, if, if you assume that at any given point in time, as a charting guy would assume that all the knowledge is in the market is reflected in that share price, then you're looking for something that isn't known, that is unexpected or is up and coming. So I try and look for opportunities around those sorts of catalysts, whether it's – and sometimes you can see a definitive timeline. You know, you can you can look at a company and compare it to another company that's been down that same journey, and you can see there's a timeline. And as time ticks by, they get closer and closer to production or or to bringing out the the big the best widget that they possibly can. Um, so those sorts of things do attract me. Also, looking at um, opportunities for things that are underrated, that are out of favour, rather than following the crowd. And at the moment, clearly, there's momentum trading and, and having that trading plan to follow momentum is, uh, is, is very much to the fore. And a lot of people have been following it blindly in some cases, pushing up shares to extraordinary levels of valuations, which really aren't justified by the fundamentals. So I think with a trading plan, it's important to, to recognise that an opportunity, try and find the catalyst for what's going to change the share price, have a target price in mind of what you think the shares could do, and that may revolve around looking at charts and the technical analysis of it. And then when that does uh, eventuate, uh, then having a trading strategy that gets you out of those shares, whether that's selling all of them, selling a part of them, or having a stop loss in place, or even using a trailing stop loss where you have a, a, a price where you want to set where you will sell if they start to come back which you can move up and down uh, depending on whether the price of the, the shares move. And I, th- and I think it's also good to have a strategy in place if things don't pan out as you would anticipate if something goes wrong, uh, which is where the stop loss, I guess, does tend to come in. Because, as I said earlier, there, there are a myriad of opportunities out there and it's very important to preserve your capital and not, uh, not be in stocks that are, are wasting uh, your time and your money. Um, because there are lots of other opportunities. Sometimes you just got to take your medicine and move on. And, and for most people starting out, I think the worst thing that can happen is that they make money. And I know that sounds silly, but you get to the stage where you do think, you know, especially in, in a market like we have at the moment, in a bull market, you get to the stage where you think you're invincible and you think you're the guru, you are the next Warren Buffett. And that can be very dangerous because you can start to um, – to believe it too much and you can take unnecessary risks and put too much capital into one stock perhaps. Um, so I think it's sometimes important to, to lose a little money because we do tend to remember lessons that are painful as opposed to lessons that are, um, that are pleasurable. So I, th- I think that's important. It's important to be humble. And I think, you know, you can get a little carried away, especially in bull markets. But, but yeah, certainly planning a trade, having a target pr- price, having a catalyst, having a, uh, a strategy for, for getting out and having a strategy for capital management as well, I think is very important. Couldn't agree with you more in terms of the importance of losing money early on. I think we've both learned some pretty important lessons, uh, but both losing uh, fair chunks of money. So very much agree yeah. with what you're saying there, Henry. You mentioned there are a number of I guess, different approaches to investing, momentum, fundamentals, technical analysis, that sort of stuff. Do you have a a dominant investing philosophy that really guides you above all of those sorts of strategic approaches? I wouldn't say dominant. My my thing, I guess, is I'm someone that enjoys the narrative around a stock, whether that be a stock, for instance, like Afterpay, which has had a really good narrative 
in terms of it's a really simple product. People understand it. People use it. It's been a growth stock. It's been a fantastic stock for a lot of people. So I, I think that's really important to get the macro themes, the, the thematics right to begin with, and then to drill down into it and to then look at the stocks that are in that space or that are, are following that narrative that are growth stocks or income stocks, whatever you're looking for, and then look at the, the fundamentals. And, you know, it's very easy in a bull market. You can kind of make numbers fit whatever you really want them to to mm. be, and especially with small cap stocks and emerging stocks, you know, if we can take afterpay for a second, you know, if you look at traditional kind of metrics on afterpay, you wouldn't think it's a six, seven billion dollar company. But when you start looking at number of users, etc., merchants, then you can kind of shoehorn the numbers into the right narrative for you to get excited about the stock. Um, so I think it's important to look at the fundamentals and to compare it to other stocks uh, and then to have a look at the technical side as well. So so for me, and certainly in the newsletter when I'm writing about stocks, it starts for me with a narrative around a theme around a stock, especially around management, because at the end of the day, you, know, you are buying into the management. You're not just buying into a company and, and a bad management can really stuff up a company really easily. Whereas, um, you know, and similarly, good management can also uh, have a very um, beneficial effect on a stock price as well. So it is narrative management. Then I would go to fundamentals, then look at the technicals as far as, okay, I've identified a situation that I like. I can see the catalysts. I've got a kind of a plan in my head or I've written it down, which is even better. And then look at the technicals in terms of timing because uh, you know we live in a, a world now where computers dominate trade without question and you know sometimes there are things that are happening which are significant factors in 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 where the share price is trading but may not be significant factors in terms of what the share price can be trading at in a year's time um it could be index changes there could be portfolio changes there could be a rights issue there's a myriad of factors that you can look at that could be depressing or 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 oppositely um, pushing up a share price in the short term. So I think it's important to look at um, the charts at the end of the day in terms of the timing. And and to be honest, sometimes, you know, you, you dither and you prevaricate and you look at these things and you think, I like this stock, I'll put it on my watch list. It's not yet right. And sometimes you miss it because the stock just keeps on going. And, and that's certainly something that does happen. But I think, as you, you know, you've just got to remember there are opportunities coming along all the time and you just move on you just move on to the next one there's a lot of stocks out there um there's a lot of movement every day so um just because you've missed it you may have been too disciplined uh, sometimes you have to jump in with the crowd and swim swim like crazy but uh, i think at the end of the day discipline is rewarded rather than just jumping at uh, uh, the most popular thing at the time so Henry, you mentioned Afterpay there, and I'm glad you did because it's a yeah. it's a nice entry into our discussion on small caps. When we were doing some research for this interview, we saw uh, Marcus today's 2019 small caps newsletter, I guess, yeah. and there were three stocks listed there. There were. We're halfway through the year. One's down 15%, yeah. but the other two, one's up 80% in six months, yeah. and the other Afterpay is up 106% in uh, six months. So some yeah. pretty good stock picking there. And you you guys definitely show that you know a thing or two about small caps and how to analyze them. So I think uh, we're, we're glad we've got you on and we can learn from your wisdom and pick your brains. Yeah. So to begin with, um, for those unfamiliar with the term and unfamiliar with small caps, can we just start with uh, a bit of a basic definition on, on what small caps are? That is a fantastic question. And for every fund manager and for every investor, I guess that is that will provoke a different answer. There are some investors that will say small caps are anything below 10 billion. If, if you're a big fund, there are some investors that will say small caps to them is under 100 million. So it is kind of a subjective thing. Uh, for me, uh, certainly, you know, anything under two or three billion is, is a small cap. When we recommended Afterpay, it was a small cap. It's not anymore. So that, that it, things do change. But generally, I, I have a small cap portfolio, which I run for um, 
for the the Marcus Today uh, newsletter, which is which is not a, a real money portfolio. It is a um, it is a model portfolio, and it just keeps me honest in terms of recommendations. And not every recommendation that I put in the newsletter goes into that portfolio. But I tend to concentrate on stocks that are below about a billion and a half in terms of market cap. Um, and that, to me, is is small cap, but you can go micro and nano. Some some people will only want to play in maybe the stocks that are valued at under $100 million, and they really are emerging market stocks. And as I say, if you're a big big fund with a small cap fund, it may be that $5, million is your, $5 billion is your benchmark. So it is a subjective thing, but I tend to look at uh, companies under about $1.5 to $2 billion. And if they get bigger than that, then what tends to happen is that they get picked up by the big boys in terms of research. So they get far more coverage. You know, no one had heard of Afterpay when they were $4 and we started following them uh, and wrote up about their merger with TouchCorp and how advantageous that would be and how it would change the game for them. No, no, none of the big boys were really looking at that at that time. So um, it's only now that they've become a $6, $7 billion company that the big research houses and the big investment banks want to focus on them. And, and some of that is because, you know, the bigger you get uh, and being a bit cynical about this, the, the more chance there is for you to do corporate deals with these guys. So, you know, big investment banks tend to suck up and do research on them in the hope that they can get the placement or a capital raise or some sort of corporate deal or a takeover or an M&A activity, because that's where the big money is, normally just doing brokerage for people is, is not a particularly um, easy game anymore, but corporate deals can put the icing on the cake. So as you move up that scale, you get more more people following you. So I tend to like the ones that people don't follow. Well, Henry, uh, you'd be pleased to know that Equity Mates added Afterpay to our hypothetical portfolio back in 2017, and it was $2.50. So we got in well before done. the big boys. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah, you did so we- do well. We've we've ridden it all the way, which has been great. But I guess uh, I completely agree with you there in in terms of the level of research that you can find on smaller cap companies, and it is quite difficult as a beginner investor to really start developing theses around these small companies because there's not a lot of stuff out there. Other than that sort of research, maybe from a company point of view, what are some of the other major differences between what you would classify as a small cap and then perhaps the mid and large caps? Is it the business cycle that attracts you or where they are in their, their growth story? What's sort of some of the major differences? Uh, well, I think you, you you probably pointed it out pretty well. You can pick something up like Afterpay at two dollars fifty, and here they are at twenty seven bucks. So you you do have some serious leverage there, and that's the great thing about small and mid caps is that you can have uh, what they call a bagger, whether it's a two bagger, so you double your money, or a three or four bagger, or or in the case that you guys have with your portfolio, um, you know that's a ten bagger. 11 bagger. I mean, you, you just can't get that sort of leverage and those sort of returns in BHP. You're never going to have a 10 bagger in BHP unless you've taken some elixir of youth, which will keep you alive for 400 years. Um, it's just not going to happen. So to me, that's the attraction is that you do get this, this leverage in the small to mid caps. Of course, that does come with risk because not every stock that you're going to pick is a 10-bagger, but it is it is very satisfying when you do get a 10-bagger, something that does increase in value over time. And, uh, you know, you guys would be well aware of that with, with Afterpay. And, you know, I think for me, when I look back on the Afterpay story, that the key for me, and I was a bit late to the party because we only started recommending it around four bucks, is uh, I had an email from a guy who queried the accounts of Afterpay and was uh, worried about the level of bad debts. So I actually phoned up the chair. I actually, well, first of all, I sent a, a, an email to the chairman and put the put these uh, issues to him. Um, and he kindly phoned me back as he was getting on a plane and was happy to chat for half an hour about the, the bad debt situation, the business. And that, for me, was a clincher. And, and one of the keys, I think, to investing in small and mid caps is trying to get in touch with the management and seeing if the guys are credible, they've done it before, whether they're on the right track, whether they have the, the actual experience and the knowledge to, to put into action um, what they are planning to do. So, you know, that, that for me is the exciting thing because, you know, trying to find Fossick around in these, in these kind of stocks and trying to find a winner 
um, is uh, is really uh, is really exciting. Uh, another one that we've been following for a long time is a stock called Polynovo, uh, which is uh, involved in skin trauma and burns, and they have a, a sort of a thing called Novasorb, which is a scaffolding for um, for treating uh, trauma victims. And I, just before I did this podcast with you, I was talking to a guy who's been following Polynovo because we've been recommending it since about 40 cents. And they've been, you know, they're fifty now, and he's absolutely over the moon, wants to have my children. He's, he is, you know, extraordinarily happy. And, and again, it comes down to, you know, someone... Um, I kind of I read something about them. I thought, oh, this looks interesting, and I I had a look through their website, and luckily they had some uh, some really good videos on their website, which showed uh, in pretty good depth what the company did and how it did it, and this product and how useful it was. And um, I looked at it and thought, geez, these these guys could be onto something. Um, and we followed them and had them in a, a small cap portfolio for a long time, as I say, and we've got some really happy clients with them. So. That that for me is really satisfying because you do get that that leverage, and you know there's there's nothing better than having a stock that's gone up three or four times, and you know it's it's I guess it's the gambler in me, and I, I, although I'm not born in this country, I'm still a Australian citizen, and it's you know it's kind of an Aussie thing to be a bit of a punter, and you know that that is why we all love Lotto. It's it's the hope and having a two or three bagger. <laughs> It, it, it can, you know, it can change your life. We had a guy in our office who, um, you know, bought, put forty thousand dollars into um, A2 milk. At, oh at, wow! Yeah, you know, in, in in double figures, not even triple figures. You know, and it, and it has changed his life. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you're not going to change your life by putting forty grand into BHP. Okay, mm. you're going to have a, you're going to have a quieter life. And you're going to have a more um, measured life, and you're going to reap the dividends. And over time, you'll do very well. But for me, the, the leverage that small and mid caps have, if you do your homework and you're prepared to take a little bit of risk, can be quite satisfying. That's that's not to say you should put the house on these things, because you know nine times out of ten, they could sit there for years, getting musty, and you could send a birthday card to them every year hoping that the, this is the year that the company is going to, you know, become a two, three, four or five bagger. But, you know, one or two of them coming off does really tend to um, to help the performance of your portfolio. Whereas, you know, if you just want to be dull and you just want to, you know, you could just buy an ASX 200 ETF. So, so on that, Henry, as a young investor, I guess, a lot of our audience are just starting out or <clears throat> pretty early on in their investing journey. And so we have the beauty of a lot of time ahead of us and we know the yep. you know the, the magic effect of compound over a long period of time. The most but, powerful force in the universe. <laughs> absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, <laughs> so when it comes to thinking about our investing strategy, is there really any point in us thinking about about sort of large cap stocks. I mean, from what you're saying, a lot of the growth and opportunities in this more small cap sector, uh, and I know there's a lot of ETFs and products out there that you can get access and exposure to the small cap markets generally without having to delve too deeply yeah. in stock specifics. So what's your thoughts on that from a strategic investing point of view for the, for the millennial investor and how, how would you approach it? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Well, uh, for the millennial investor, and it's interesting because I, I, I've been teaching some year 11 and 12 kids at a, a school in Sydney. I teach them the basics of the stock market and investing generally. And, and there's, I guess there's, there's two things I tell them because they're, you know, they're 16, 17, they're embarking on a, on a career or, or whatever, or an interest in finance. One is that, that as you say, time is, is a great, it was a great benefit to, uh, to people just starting out. That time is really, really useful. Compound interest is an extraordinary thing. So I always tell them to, to start early and keep adding to it early because that really will pay dividends in the long run. And you know, seven or eight percent growth and return should not be sneezed at. It should be a core part of your portfolio. Having said that, because you have the benefit of time and that you have the ability to recover from a financial catastrophe better than a 65-year-old could have, your, your risk can be moved up the curve somewhat, and you can embrace more risk and try and find a two, three, four, or five, or six bagger. And and the thing that I tell them, apart from using time and that compound interest, is to use the, the good old Mark One eyeball. And this is the most important thing, I think, for, for any investor starting out, especially young investors, is that, that they sh- you should be looking for opportunities in things around you because you've got to remember the iPhone is only 10 years old. You know, that, that was a company-making thing. The mm-hmm. iPhone X or whatever is was the 10th anniversary of the first iPhone that came out. You know, Facebook, all these companies, Amazon, Google, they're not very old. And, and these are stocks that millennials or, or young investors would have probably spotted because you guys are using them every day, the Slacks or the, or the Alassians or, the, or you know, all these sorts of stocks that us old fuddy-duddies, we're still going, oh, National Australia Bank, they yield 6% fully frank, that's a great yield. That's fantastic for, for, for our market and for our time of life. But for young kids starting out, you know, using your eyes and, and, and every available opportunity and having a look and seeing what's happening around you, what things are popular, what apps are taking off, what, um, you know, what technology is coming in, because we're changing so fast. In 10 years' time, Apple may not exist. You just don't know. YouTube, all these things could be outdated and out, out um, classed by a new thing. So I think it's important, especially when you're young, just to keep your eyes open. Um, to opportunities and things that you're using that your friends are using you know that facebook has got a massive opportunity with instagram it has not yet monetized it there's there's so much focus on um their cryptocurrency push with libra which is years away uh, as as cheryl sandberg said herself whereas instagram is is ripe for monetization through being able to click on the the influencer's picture and getting the product delivered the next day uh, and Apple uh, and Facebook taking a clip. It's it's the whole marketplace they've got is is open to that as well. So you know, I think for for millennials investing, it's really important to look at, especially for the next decade, the next ten years, um, what sort of emerging technologies there are going to be because they could kill you know existing. Uh, technologies. So, you know, it wasn't long ago that you know my generation would look at you know buying safe car manufacturers and, and or buying safe you know airline stocks or something like that. And you know the world is changing so rapidly. I, I think it's you know it's important, very important to keep your eyes and ears open to those opportunities and equally to use that power of compound interest. And so you can kind of have a, a split in your brain to some extent you can have some safe stuff that you know is going to pay you that yield that is going to just grow over time which is really good but you can also go out on a limb a little bit with part of your portfolio and try and fossick around and find those emerging companies that will change the game that could change your life because i think that's um, that's the exciting part of investing there's nothing very exciting about buying an asx etf Um, (laughs) let's face it i mean it may be exciting when you're 65 but when you're 20 21 you know it's it's still it's exciting to try and find you know to fostic around and find those opportunities and and you've got to remember that even the 65 year old when we buy our cars and i've written spoken about this a lot when you buy a car you want the speedo to go to 300 
the fact that you can only go 110 makes no makes no difference. But you still want to have the thought that you've you've got that potential. It's the same with shares. Even though you've got the most boring portfolio in the world, you might have one percent in something that becomes a three bagger that gives you bragging rights at a dinner party, and everyone looks at you as if you're a guru. Um, it's it's the same concept. You, you you need a little excitement in your life, surely. You need a car that can do 200 kilometres an hour, even if you can only do 110. So, and I think when you're younger, you can you can certainly have a a, a little bit more excitement in your life and 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 move up that risk um, risk scale and try and find the next Amazon, the next you know, the next Facebook, the next whatever, because they are out there. You know, you guys bought Afterpay at two dollars fifty. How many years ago was that? Two. And yeah. after, after, after pay in five years time could be a $60 billion company, or it could be completely superseded by somebody else that does it better than they do for cheaper and, and faster and longer and stronger. Who, who knows? But um, you know, I think that that's the fun of investing because it, it's supposed to be um, not only financially good, but also it's, it's supposed to be interesting and enjoyable. Otherwise, Hey, just give your money to a fund manager that's going to give you eight percent every year, and 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 sit back and count the dollars when you're sixty. So, Henry, one thing that that leads into, and one thing that I'm always really interested in when we speak to people in the small cap space, is about the research process, because you know the large caps, everyone talks about them. There's a whole lot of financial media on them, yeah. but for a lot of the small caps, it's it's almost a question of where do you start and how do you find those needles in that haystack. So you touched on looking around you and seeing what's becoming popular. Yeah. Are there any other ways that you sort of filter through all that noise and all the options out there to really find those needles in that massive haystack that is the market? I think what I mean the internet is a, is a magnificent resource and and luckily for for people in the financial game there are an awful lot of people out there that will provide you with information for free and there's an awful lot of people that will provide it in a niche for free and there's lots of websites that that actually concentrate on small caps uh, the ASX even has a service where they pay brokers to to follow smaller stocks that nobody else follows and they get financial incentives for doing so there's also lots of uh, conferences as well for small caps and micro cap stocks one source um, there's a micro cap conference i went to down in melbourne uh, last year which there were some fantastic stocks that presented there foslock was one um, that we latched onto it around 30 actually around 18 cents originally they're now 86 and they do water treatment in china but those sorts of things are really good there's a, another one called uh, tech know-how which uh, presents um, a bunch of tech stocks every year and this there's other you know there's brokers that do tend to, to specialize in this end of the market so you know there are ways and means of getting research what little there is on these stocks and a lot of them are pushing their own agenda and their own positions but uh, there is stuff out there, and there's, as I say, there's small cap websites. Uh, there's things like Livewire Markets as well, which is a very good resource for. There's a lot of small cap fund managers that talk about their own stocks on that portal. So there are a lot of resources out there now, and companies, you know, I'm following their announcements also. And if you get a chance to, if you do find a company that you can, um, that you start to to focus on, you know, just going to the AGM and 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 looking at the whites of the management eyes sometimes can be really beneficial. Um, but just being interested in the space, I think, is, is is really important. As I say, there's lots of these conferences around, and a lot of them are, like the tech know-how one, is free. It's not like you have to pay for these uh, conferences. I don't know about the microcap one, but the tech know-how one, which I go to every year, um, it is, a, is a free conference. There's 25 companies there that present and they have their show and the dog and pony show with the PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint. And everyone, everyone nods off after lunch, but every now and then, you know, as, as they say, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs when you're looking at small caps, because there's a lot of rubbish out there. And for every one after pay, you now there's 50 that didn't make it to that stage. So you do have to kiss a lot of frogs, but there are, ways now that you can find um, at least your universe because as i say there's a, some of the smaller brokers cover them um, there's lots of conferences there's lots of resources on the internet as well and you know if you if you want to 
go rummaging in the small cap space, you will come up with some interesting stories, targets, and opportunities. It's it's not like the old days where it was real secret squirrel stuff. Times have changed, and there is a lot more access to this stuff now because you know we're all looking for the one that's going to change our lives. We're all looking for a Facebook. We're all looking for a, an Uber or a Slack or a Alassian or, or one of those. We're all looking for an afterpay because that's that's what you do as an investor. You, you, you otherwise you just you know you buy the ASX 200 ETF and. Go to lunch, I guess. <laughs> boring, <laughs> boring, boring. And, you know, and that, that, that's fine. That's fine if boring is is the name of the game. But you know, even boring can be sexy. That this is this is what's been quite strange. Even a boring stock like Transurban, which I've been banging on about in the newsletter for donkey's years about how wonderful it is. You know, it's been a stunning performer. It's record highs. It has just gone up and up and up. And that is possibly, you know, it can't get much more boring than owning a road and cars drive on it and you take tolls. How, where's the growth coming in Transurban? Yet they've gone through the roof. Telstra is one of the best performing ASX 200 stocks this year. It was up 51% or something. Ridiculous. You cannot get much more boring than Telstra. Um, (laughs) You know, it, 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 it comes down to narrative and sentiment and momentum and all sorts of things at the moment. But that's what makes it interesting is, is trying to find little ones that are going to perform and trying to find big ones that are unloved and going to perform as well. So speaking of uh, our narratives, we reached out to our audience before the show to yeah. ask if they had any questions. Oh, and a, n- okay. a number of them have written in with particular stock code tickers. And so... I've got four here that I'll run past you. And I think just so we don't spend too much time going into the nitty gritty of them all, I I guess if you can answer A, are you aware of the stock? And B, would you classify it as a small cap? And then uh, C, whether or not you think it is developing into a good story, a neutral or something that you personally wouldn't really be too keen on. So the first one, how how does that sound? Keen? Sounds but I've got to say before I start that I've got to disclaim that this is general advice only. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and we yeah. Sh- we should say we're really putting you on the spot here, we're giving you, giving yes. you no warning for this. So. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's okay. That's okay. I used so, to do this on Sky Business and like phone in and do this. So the first one that's come through was TNY Tiny Beans Group. Yeah, that's been a big success story, hasn't it? And that's one that um, I think Angie Ellis was um, was hot on. And it's really done well. I've got to say, I think it's got a little bit carried away. I have followed it glancing at it, and it looks interesting, but I think got a bit too kind of hyped up for my liking. It's it's had all the the necessary ingredients, you know, apps on Apple Store and, um, you know, micro conferences in the U.S. and all this sort of stuff and social networks, um, 3 million users and all this. So it's got all the right sort of parts. But when you look at the, the actual revenue, it's, you know, it's, it's not very much, you know, nearly $2 million. So mm. there's a lot of hype around these stocks. And part of the problem, and this, this may go to most of the stocks that you're going to ask me about, is that because we have such a, a small tech sector, it's kind of easy to stand out for a while um, and attract that business. And it's, there's few of them that kind of last the distance. Tiny Beans may be one that lasts the distance, but I think it's got a little bit overhyped uh, for the time being, and maybe you know, if we do see our market come back a little bit, um, you will see these sorts of stocks come back to earth with a bit of a thud as, as the you know the bubble escapes. But um, it, it's been a it's been a big success story. I know that Angie Ellis, who's quite high profile, pushed this one. And it got to what a dollar fifty or something from from forty cents. I, I suspect that um, it's got a bit ahead of itself. So sticking with the the tech theme and yeah. one that uh, most of our listeners would be aware of as, as we've spoken about it before and that's RZI Rays. What are your thoughts? Oh. I Rays it's an interesting it's an interesting business and I actually use it I've got to say, I, I have a little Raise account, and I used it when it was called Acorn, and I vaguely know through a friend of mine uh, the management uh, behind it. 
they haven't covered themselves in glory, and it's. I, I think there's there's a lot of competition in that sector to be a cool finance app. I'm not sure the raise is a really good name either. I think branding. Oh, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a terrible name. Acorns was so <laughs> much better Perfect. because you know it had a much nicer graphic. You could see your money grow. I mean, it had so much. You know, raise looks as if they're trying to raise money all the time. So uh, for me, it's it's just been uh, a struggle to some extent. The, the 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 float was badly handled, and I know it's growing and all that sort of stuff. But it, for me, I think there's, it's just not growing fast enough. And, you know, you've got, you've got to invest in these sorts of things in terms of marketing. You need to market them because there's a lot of these things out there. I like the product, don't like the name. And I don't think the shares are really going anywhere for the time being. So just looking at the market cap of the next one, and it might be classified as a, a, a micro cap, uh, it's HCO, Hylia Metals. Not sure if you've heard about it or not. That's the first time I've heard about it. Yeah, Hylia Metal. You know what? I actually had an email from a subscriber about this the other day because they, uh, they just bought a high-grade uranium project, which got everybody excited, and it was a thing that Paladin used to own. So they've just bought 65% of this. I've got to say, uranium is really hard work. And I've played uranium. Uh, and at times, everyone gets really excited about uranium. And then that whole excitement dissipates again. Usually when energy prices are high and everyone's going, yeah, this is great. We need some more nuclear reactors and we haven't got enough. We haven't got enough people doing uranium. I mean, Paladin's been a sorry story. This one had a, a big blip up as it um, as it uh, bought this thing from Paladin. I would be pretty sceptical about this, I have to say. Um, it's probably a punter's special and uh, lots of volatility. But what tends to happen is that the crowd moves on to the next big thing and they just go into stasis again and they just trickle down eventually they run out of money and they need to raise money and do a capital raise and they go out with the dog and pony show and the powerpoints and they tell everyone it's going to be company making and how wonderful they're going to have of a year and they raise some money and then they all go back into hibernation again um so <laughs> I, I i'd be a bit skeptical about this one because i you know uranium such a it's such a tough politically charged commodity it's you know it's it's a bit like rare earths in some respects but um but just dirtier so the the, the final stock was paladin so i think you've answered that pretty well so oh. i think they're, they're the um they're the four yeah, they're, uh, are on the watch list for our our listeners some of our listeners so i guess the big okay. question is and obviously full disclosure this is not a buy hold or sell recommendation in any means but is there uh, a number one that is on your watch list at the moment that is really piquing your interest in terms of narrative or, or whatever it may be oh you know what it's 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 tricky to to nail it down to one or especially when you've got the market at an all-time high and, and these you, with with small stocks, they really are dependent on confidence. And if we do have a pullback in the market, then that confidence evaporates really quickly. One that I've been watching, which I look as if I'm at the moment I'm a little bit wrong on, is there's a stock called Amazim, um, which some of your listeners may or may not use. I okay. use it. It's my mobile phone provider. And What's they the are ticker? AYS is the ticker. Okay. They're 73 cents. Um, and these guys basically flog um, Optus mobile phone plans. Not very exciting, you may think. Um, they, they do it quite well, I have to say, but they've also got into the energy market as well, um, and they do um, energy plans as well for people. Now, if you cast your mind back for a week or so, it was not long ago that AGL Energy wanted to buy Vocus which was a very interesting move. And for six days, the market was talking about how, whether it would be good or bad for an energy provider to buy a telephone company. Um, and here you are with a Mason, which is already a telephone and energy company combined. And the attraction, I think, for someone like AGL is that they have this big database of people they can cross-sell both energy and telephone plans to with AGL um, products. Um, so for me... It's a strategic stock that I kind of like. It hasn't done a lot, but every now and then a, 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 
a takeover rumor emerges and they poke their head up to a dollar before it's not a 17 bagger by any stretch of the imagination but things are changing in the mobile phone business at the moment competition is lessening um, we've seen the renaissance in telstra so I'm, I'm, i kind of think this is a you know this is a dollar stock trading at 70 cents so that for me is an interesting one and the other interesting one which uh, again, has come off a little bit in recent uh, times, but I recommended these at 37 cents and they got to 65. Is a stock called I Sign This. ISX is the code. And again, this is all general advice, guys. Don't rush out and buy it and blame me when it goes wrong. <laughs> um, but, but, Don't worry, we will. <laughs> you will, I know. I'll get another phone call. <laughs> Don't ever darken my doorstep again. Um, I, I signed this. These guys are kind of the missing link in some respects into the buy now, pay later space. Afterpay has attracted some negative press, to say the least, or the fact on Oztrack have been investigating them for money laundering and client identification. Now, I signed this are the guys that provide identification, verification, and anti-money laundering as part of their suite of products. Some of this is actually mandated. They're dual listed with a listing in Frankfurt. And to me, if, if you're in the buy now, pay later space or any kind of financial services space, then you do need to be very wary of Oztrack and similar uh, regulators coming down heavy on you and basically killing your business overnight. And I sign this. I would imagine, I don't know the pricing of it, but it is a off-the-shelf buy as a box package that can solve your problems for you. Um, and so I think it's got great potential. They are heading in the right direction. Uh, Revenue is increasing, clients are increasing, et cetera. So for me, it's, it's a good narrative at the moment in terms of that. It does depend on the growth of buy now, pay later to some extent, but all financial institutions, and we've seen this with the Hain Commission, need to ensure that who they're talking to is the person they think they are and not some Russian mobster that's washing his money through buying jeans on Iconic. Um, so I, I think it's it's kind of part of that buy now, pay later puzzle, which I kind of like. As I say, yeah. we, we, we recommended them at 37 cents. I, I, I spotted them there. I, I saw a presentation of them. I thought, well, this looks interesting. And it's been they've been around for a while, but they never really did much. And they've got a few deals under the belt. And they, they, they perked up to 65 odd. Um, and everyone was really happy. They've come off a little bit now, um, only because that whole sector was under a bit of pressure with the Austrack thing. But to mm. me, this just looks an interesting one to be looking at. at the yeah, moment. very interesting. Yeah. So that, those, those are a couple, as I say. Nice. Amazing is probably not going to be a life changer, but I think corporate appeal wise, it just has some attractions that Vocus had for a tenth of the price. Yeah, it's uh, definitely some very interesting starting points for research. No advice, but some interesting stocks no, to no, look no into. <laughs> so, no advice. So, Henry. Also, um, no responsibility. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, thank you so much for your time today. It's uh, It's been great to uh, pick your brain, Pleasure, um, hear you talk about stocks, um, and understand your process a little bit better. As as we get to the end of the interview, we always try and finish with with the same three questions. So, um, oh, more quick. So we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, the yep. first one: uh, Do you have yep. any must read books, either investing or otherwise? Oh, must read books. Um, on the road, Jack Kerouac. Nice one. That's a good one. Not investing, but. Not much, not, not, much, not, not, much, not much good for investing. And, I would also, and one to always avoid, no matter how intelligent you want to make yourself out to be, is Moby Dick. Fair enough. <laughs> one, one recommendation and one to avoid. Never to get through it. Um, yeah. Second one, what, what's your go-to source for investing information? I think I start with the – I've got to say it's boring, but I start with the Fin Review and the Australian. I know it's dull, but at least it takes you – it starts you down the rabbit hole, and you know at some stage you, could, you the internet being what it is, you can go down lots of rabbit holes from there. But it it does tend to um, highlight because all these emerging stocks they're all trying to create some noise, they're all trying to put some blood in the water so that the, the sharks get attracted, and they do tend to try and push themselves through the media. So if you can get one that actually gets some coverage in the media, it's sometimes worth 
following down that rabbit hole and it can lead you to uh, some good opportunities. I know it's dull. I know it's boring, but it's it works. The other one, I guess, which I find the most one of the most useful resources is Bloomberg. It's the first thing I go to in the morning and it has some really out there stuff. They've got a massive amount of journalisms and some great articles. Um, and again, that can take you down some interesting rabbit holes, especially in terms of big themes, you know, like emerging themes, AI, lithium, electric vehicles, that sort of stuff. So that can lead you to a lot of stocks and opportunities i think yeah nice one and then the uh the last question that we always try and finish with if you think back to when you started investing is there any advice that you would give your younger self yep don't sell any houses (laughs) (laughs) the house that i owned the house that i owned in london why did I possibly sell it? The flat that I owned before the house in London, why did I possibly sell it? Why didn't I just rent it out as I should have done and kept it for the last 30 years and that house that I bought for £60,000 that's now worth a million pounds um, would mm. be kind of nice. But, um, yeah, I think you know, I think it's just, you know, maybe it goes to the heart of, you know, with you guys with Afterpay and, and others with, with stocks. If when, Once you're on to a good thing, don't settle just for the ski boots. Sometimes it's good to get the holiday and the ski boots and, and knowing that maybe you are on to a good thing here and maybe that um, – it's not just short-term, hey, that was a great sugar fix, let's just take the money and run, because then you've got to find a new opportunity, whereas you may have found the one, and you should stick with the one having done the whole work on one. You shouldn't probably then keep skipping around. But certainly I should never have sold my house in London. Big mistake. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, thank you, Henry, for for joining us uh, on the show today. Thank it was uh, incredibly insightful, and you're the first guest that we've been able to sit down and talk in depth about small caps. It's something that our audience have been very interested in, and is something that we will certainly continue to try and uh, get more information and insight on. Because, as we've discussed, for a millennial investor, I think uh, it certainly pro- provides a lot of opportunity for, as you said, some life changing uh, investing opportunities. So thank yeah. you for your time. Before we go, um, yeah. you, you mentioned throughout there that you do some writing and, and some stock recommendations and we didn't mention it at the start of the show. So do you just yeah. want to give us a, a bit of insight into uh, Marcus today and, and what it is and, and where our listeners can find more of your writing and, and get in contact sure. with you if they need um, sure. Well, after a lifetime in, in broking and, and trading, etc., um, I now write um, for a financial newsletter called Marcus Today, which is based in Melbourne. I'm, I'm based in Sydney, uh, which is good and it's bad. But um, I concentrate on, on small caps and strategy and macro stuff, mainly because that, that's my, my kind of focus and interest. Um, so um, marcustoday.com.au is the website. It's a financial newsletter. And you can sign up for a free trial and see if you like it. It is, I've got to say, it is an amazing resource in terms of what we produce every day. It's a daily newsletter. So it not only comments and gives facts and figures and what's going on in the market, we also give recommendations, model portfolios, lots and lots of educational stuff as well. Marcus runs educational seminars as well as I do stuff for schools. So it is a great resource. And I write a piece every day called Henry's Take. And just to give you an idea, I wrote a piece today about the market, which I compared to a car. Um, from, uh, you probably may be too young to remember this film, but Wayne's World, there is a famous scene when they're all driving along and singing Bohemian Rhapsody. And the market, to, to me, and this is what I was writing this morning, feels a bit like that. We're all racing along in this car, and there's a funny noise coming from the engine. But we're all, all pretty happy to be along in the car and enjoying it, and we're singing Bohemian Rhapsody. But the noise is getting louder, so we just have to sing louder or turn the radio up. But at some stage, it's possible that the engine will blow up. And that, to me, is kind of where I see the market at the moment. It's kind of that, you know, we know there's some issues out there. Some things are happening which don't make a lot of sense. And we just turn the radio up and we turn the stereo up and we sing louder so that we don't have to... Um, listen to the, the banging that's coming from the bonnet. Um, but at some stage, the banging turns into just mess of metal. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of, I, I tend to write sort of left-fieldy stuff 
that kind of has a bit of a try and entertain as well as educate and also give um, some really good stock tips that people can uh, some action and make some money out of. But it's always nice to sugarcoat stuff and try and um, make it palatable and a bit more fun because, you know, for me, there's so much dry information out there, so much dry stuff. I like to try and put some humor in it. And I've always said that my job is to try and make complicated stuff easy and try and make it accessible to as many people as possible because we live in a country where 9% of our salaries go into superannuation and most of us don't care about it until we're 60. And then we go, oh, I wish I'd done that earlier. (laughs) And in a world where it sometimes seems that uh, financial media is made to be as complicated as possible, uh, I think that analogy is uh, something that is – certainly resonates with us and I'm sure our listeners. Uh, so yeah, if anyone's interested, you know, now you now know where to, to find Henry and uh, also uh, all the other writers for Marcus today. So again, Henry, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And My pleasure, guys. it'd be great to get you back on at some stage to, to review everything Anytime. that we've, we've spoken about. So thank you. Anytime. Always, always good fun. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.